You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. The book of Genesis or the beginning of Genesis as a church. So if you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 5. Um, what we've experienced so far in the book of Genesis is we've had the creation of the world, the creation of, of Adam and Eve, the, the entrance of sin into the world when uh, the serpent tricked Adam and Eve into uh, eating of the fruit and they chose to do what was wrong. Then we experienced last week the, the, the first murder uh, in human history where Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve, um, were out together and, uh, and Cain rose up and killed his brother and the consequences for that. And we see mankind is living under a curse of sin, right? That sin is this constant enemy of mankind and that there's no, uh, there's no hope right now for mankind. And the first children fell deeper into sin than their parents did, right? And that's kind of the way culture is, right? It starts uh, maybe up here and it slowly moves deeper and deeper. If you watch the Super Bowl Sunday, I missed the halftime show, but everything I've heard about it, right? Everything I've heard about the halftime show says maybe our culture isn't going up. Maybe we're not getting better. Maybe things aren't improving day by day, right? The things that we celebrate, the things that we, um, that we, we, we put out for largest audience that we can gather um, is just wickedness, right? It's just outright wickedness. The world isn't improving, and Adam and Eve experienced that firsthand. Their sin was disobeying God, and then immediately after that, their children are murdering one another. I mean, it is a terribly tragic time in human history. And then we get this passage in Genesis chapter 5, and if you've ever done the read through the Bible game, okay, and I call it a game because some of us win at it, and others of us lose at it. But usually you get to Genesis 5. If you've played the game, you've made it to Genesis 5. Genesis 5 is only five chapters in. So if you said, I want to read through the Bible, and you didn't get to Genesis 5, that's not really, not really impressive, okay, guys? It's not very impressive. So Genesis 5 is the first test for you, okay? It's the first lengthy test for you on whether or not reading through the Bible is really the game that you want to play because it's the first lengthy genealogy, and it comes after kind of a shorter genealogy in Genesis chapter 4. And genealogies are probably the least interesting parts of Scripture for a lot of us. Now, some people love the genealogies in Scripture, and they go through and they coordinate all the dates, and uh, they get big charts, and they spread them out across everything. Some people are geared that way, but for most of us, normal people, right... Right, us normal people, what, we're, what, we, what we enjoy reading is, you know, stories. We like to hear the narrative tales that are going on. Maybe even we'll like the, the letters of Paul and stuff, which aren't really stories, right? They're instructions. They're um, almost like sermons. Maybe we'll enjoy that. But we, no one who's really 100% in their right minds just loves the genealogies. Um, quite right. Now, if I just insulted you there, I'm sorry, okay, and, and keep, keep, keep reading. Um, but Genesis chapter 5 is the first lengthy genealogy. We're not going to read every word here because like every other genealogy in Scripture, there's a lot of redundancy in it. There's a lot of, it's a pattern and it follows it, but there's some special things in Genesis 5 that I think are important for us as we look at this war that's going on uh, between mankind in sin. So we start out in Genesis chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. 
When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. And the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So the story begins with the very first man, and we get a lot of extra information about Adam. And that extra information, anytime you're reading a genealogy in Scripture, this is how I'm able to read through the genealogy in Scripture. It's a tip for me, a trick for you. What I look for is I look for anything that doesn't fit the pattern, right? So usually the pattern is, in this passage, it's going to be so-and-so lived this many years, had a son named this, then lived this many more years and had other sons and daughters and died at this age. And then they go to the son that was mentioned and it starts again. Anything outside of that pattern, any extra information, any extra insights that are in there aren't accidental, right? They weren't like the author of Genesis was writing was like, oh, I just kind of got filled with some sort of notion and wanted to write. No, it's purposefully put in there. And so when we look at Adam's story, there's a couple things that are really important about this genealogy. First thing is that Adam was made in the image of God, right? He says it um, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God says, let us make man in our own image. But, but here in Genesis 5, God again specifies through Holy Scripture, Adam was made in God's image. He had a very special mark on him. He had a special mark on him that made him an image bearer of God. Now, Adam had two sons before Seth, but neither of those are mentioned in the genealogy. Now, it makes sense that, that Abel wouldn't be mentioned because Abel wasn't able to live long enough to have kids. Huh? How about a little fun little mnemonic device? I don't know. I try here, guys, okay? So Abel didn't have any, have any sons or daughters, so it doesn't make sense that Abel, or it makes sense that Abel wouldn't be there, but Cain, right? Cain was Adam's firstborn son. But Cain gets his own genealogy in Genesis chapter 4 because Cain did not have what Seth had, right? Seth, when, 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 when God talks about Seth in Genesis chapter 5, right, he says, when Adam had lived 130 years, verse 3, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his image. Adam was an image bearer of God. Adam uh, had some, some look and feel about him, some governance, some ruling like God. God. Adam had a, a belief in the promise of God. Cain did not fit in that. It's not that Cain doesn't have any of God's image on him, but Cain was far from God. But Seth, this third child, this third son of Adam and Eve, he was in that image. And this genealogy is not necessarily tracing the oldest children of any of these patriarchs. It's not necessarily tracing um, the, 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 the child who you would usually trace, these are the children who looked the most like God. They were the ones who believed in the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it said there would be a child who would come, a seed of the woman who would come, who would crush the head of the serpent who tricked Eve. Right? They, these are the ones who are close to believing the promise of God. Guys, as believers, us here today, many, many years removed from Adam and Eve and from Seth, believers represent God and enjoy His blessing. Adam enjoyed God's blessing and he represented 
God and Seth, his son, did the exact same thing. Right, Seth, there's a reason my son is named Seth and not Cain, right? right? I didn't name him Cain because I didn't want him murdering his brother, right? right? But, but, but Seth, right, he, he looked like Adam. The best parts of Adam, the most godly parts of Adam, the parts of Adam that walked with God in the cool of the garden, that is what Seth had in him, right? Adam and Eve may have had other sons and daughters. We don't track those other children. We track the line from Adam to Seth because in that line, God was near to them. Maybe they didn't fall away and abandon like future people. Then we have a whole long session of names. There's about 20 more verses that follow the pattern perfectly, right? I mean, and you can read the names, right? Um, Seth had a guy named Enosh. Enosh had a guy named Kenan. Kenan had a guy named Mahalel. Mahalel had a guy named Jared which is a normal name, fine. Oh, that's kind of nice to have Jared thrown in there randomly, right? Jared, right, had, had, had a kid named Enoch, and then we have something interesting. All those other people, we don't know anything about them. We don't know anything noteworthy about them. All we know is they lived and they died. That's important, by the way, because one of the curses of sin is that death would reign. And it did. Death reigned over and over and over again. Adam lived to be 930 years, and that's a long time. Time. I don't want to live to be 930 years. I'm not sure I want to make it to 93, honestly. Right? Some of you are getting close to 93, and you're like, no, I want to make it to 93. But me, I'm good, right, at, at 37 and three quarters. Or, you know, my wife, we're about to enter into the best six weeks of the year. It's the, it's the six weeks where my wife is a year older than I am, right? So this, this week, this Tuesday, I don't know, Tuesday, yeah, this Tuesday, my wife is going to age up, and it's going to be a glorious six weeks. And you will probably hear for the next six Sundays how I have an older wife and all that. So y'all enjoy that. Look, Richie's y'all are getting out when the getting's bad. I mean, it's about to get good for six weeks. And then I age up, and I forget all about it. But, but you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to make it to 930 years, right? I don't know if I want to make it to 93 years. I, I really don't. But Adam lived a long time. But even at the end of this long life, you know what happened? He died. And then Seth came. And he lived a long life. All of these people live long lives if you look at the ages. And then he died. And Kenan and Jared and Mahalel, all of these people, they live long, full lives, but they die. Death, when, when, when God told them, if you eat of this tree, you will die. Right? When he told them that, he wasn't lying to them, despite the snake's best intentions to, to, to make him feel otherwise. Death reigned. Death is the ultimate enemy of mankind. It's the consequence of the sin and the fall, but death gets beaten later. We know this, right? We know the Genesis 3.15 child is Jesus Christ, and Jesus dies, and then he's like, nope, not going to win. Right? De- Jesus beats back death, but, but mankind, we, we experience this over and over and over again. It's the pattern of our lives. But now we get down to Enoch in verse 21, and it says, while Enoch had lived 65 years he fathered Methuselah. That's a Bible trivia question later on. But, but Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now this is different, right? Everybody else in this thing lived so many years, had a kid, lived this more, number more years, then they died, right? That's the pattern. 
That's the pattern. It's the pattern of most people's lives, right? We live a certain amount of years, have some major life event. Maybe you have a kid, maybe you get married, maybe you get a job. I don't know. Have some sort of major life event, and then you live another pile of years, and then you die. But Enoch's life was different. It was different in that he walked with God. He's the only person in this whole passage here that God describes as walking with God. Everyone else just lived, 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 and died. Enoch walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? What does that mean for us today? We're encouraged as Christians to walk closely with God. It means that you and God are together wherever you go. It means that your relationship with God is meaningfully close. You know, we talk about praying without ceasing. It's a command that we have in the New Testament that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. That sort of prayer leads us to walking with God. You know, God is still in the business of walking nearby to us people, right? It wasn't just a Genesis thing when he walked in the cool of a garden physically with Adam and Eve. I don't think God was literally strolling along with Enoch. I think Enoch was strolling his life, constantly remembering God. Everywhere he went, no matter what he was doing, God was in the forefront of his mind. I had the pleasure yesterday of making a hospital visit some hospital visits are great, some hospital visits aren't so much, but I had a great hospital visit yesterday, and I was sitting with this lady, um, and, uh, and she's an older lady, and she was talking about kind of like her, the end of her life, and you know, how, how, how she wants it to go, whatever, like she has her, her thoughts about this, but, but I loved what she said, she said, you know, I don't have anyone else kind of around me, so, so it's, just, it's just my father and I. You know, my first thought was, I was like, well, her dad's got to be dead. Like, that was, and this is Matt, right, the pastor. Like, I'm like, her dad's got to be dead. But no, she was, she was speaking of, of her Lord and Savior. Like, she was talking of God the Father. And she's like, I don't have any, so I just talk to him. Like, she's, 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 just, she's in her home, and she's, she's alone, mostly isolated. And she's like, I just, just talk to him. And I talk to him about what, what I wish would happen. I petition him with what I desire to happen. And I know, like, he, he, he may not do what I want because he has a better picture in mind. But, but her love for her father, the way she spoke of her relationship with her father, shows an abiding walking with God in her life. She walks with the Lord. Right? When she talks about her father, she, she talks about him lovingly, like you would talk about your earthly father if you have a good relationship with him. I don't maybe you have a bad relationship with him, you wouldn't talk about him fondly, but if you have a good relationship with him, say, man, my, my, my dad, or I love my, my earthly father. I'll talk positively about him. I'll have warm uh, thoughts about him. And that's, that's her talking about her heavenly father. She says, I talk to him, and he listens because he cares for me. And yeah, he may not do what I want, what I want, but I know he's going to do what's best. Right? That's an abiding walking with God. Enoch did this for 365 years. Every day of his life, no matter where he went, his mind was set on the things of the creator of the universe. He was nearer to God than anyone before him. Right Now, was he sinless? No. Romans would tell us that he was not a sinless man, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because of his belief in God, because of his strong uh, abiding presence with God, he did not suffer death. Right, where everyone else dies, except for him. 
God takes him. And that word takes is the exact same word that we get when we look at the only other person who experienced this in the Bible with Elijah. Right? That, that God came down in a chariot fire and took him up. It's the exact same word. He took him to be with him. God took the one who abided with him. Believers here today, guys, we are called to have that sort of abiding walk with God. We should walk closely with God. That means that that your prayer life isn't just something you do at specified hours, right? Like, well, it's bedtime, so I'm praying, or it's mealtime, so I'm praying, or it's whatever. You know, the the, the Islamic uh, religion, right, they have, have set prayer hours five times a day. They pray in very specific ways and very specific prayers, right? They have a a pattern, a process, and it's to remind them throughout the day, right, to, to check in, to remind them to, 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 to pray towards all of, but, but guys, we here as Christians today, we're called to be abiding moment by moment with God, and it's not hard to do, right, because God is near to us. All we have to do is call out to Him in prayer. You know, the reason I think a lot of us don't walk with God that way is because we really, we really don't love God in that way. Right? We love other things more. And we have other things that have choked out our, our affection for the one who made us, and the one who sustains us, and the one who provides for us. We have other things that we love. And when those loves supersede our love for our Father, right, it, it, we... We tune out. We find other things to do with our time, other things to do with ourselves. Believers, that should not be the way we should walk with God. The life of Enoch is a life of example for us. We don't know everything he did, but we know no matter what he did, he did it with God in mind. He walked with God day by day, moment by moment. What a beautiful picture that is. And then we get the one other person in this passage that gets a special write-up is, is at the very end. And it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah. And Lamech said, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Well, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years. He had other sons. Ten daughters, and all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and then he died. And Noah was 500 years old, right? And he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And there's, there's, there's our transition, right? We have this whole story, this person lived and died, this person lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. Then Lamech comes along, and he bears, or he has a son, and he looks at this son, and he says, this son This one right here will give us rest from our work. The ground has been cursed by sin, which we see in Genesis chapter 3. The ground is cursed by sin. And it's difficult to make food. It's difficult to get through all these things. It's been cursed by sin. But God will bring us rest through this child. Noah, Lamech hoped that Noah was Jesus, just so you know. Right, Lamech looked at Noah and said, this is the one that's going to get rid of the curse. This is the child that's going to remove the stain of the curse, all the negative implications that the curse has had for the last several thousand years of these people's lives. Right, This person is going to remove that problem. 
And Noah was a special man. Right? He was a righteous man. And we know Noah is important because when it talks about Noah, it talks about all three of his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right? It's not just he fathered Shem. Or he fathered Ham. Right? He fathered all of these three children. Because Noah is an important character. But guys, we, as believers, we need to be like Lamech in anticipating that the curse that we live under as uh, the curse of sin it's going to be eliminated. As believers in, in Jesus Christ, we have a already but not quite yet fulfillment of prophecy. Death has been conquered through Jesus Christ. The stain of sin has been conquered through Jesus Christ. But as believers living in this church age, kind of in the middle, we haven't fully grasped onto that. Right? We don't fully have victory over sin and death in this life. It will come, right? Revelation talks about the coming, second coming of Christ when he's going to set all things right permanently. But in this time, this middle age that we live in between Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, right? We're, we're, we have a fulfilled prophecy that Christ came and beat death. Christ came and took away sin. The stain of sin, the curse of sin has been removed for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we still live in a world that's broken by it. We can experience forgiveness of sin while still swimming in sinny places, right? Sinny is not a word, I don't think, but it should be, should be, right? We live in this world that's broken still by sin, but the promise is that Jesus didn't just do it once, he's going to do it permanently in the future. As believers, guys, we anticipate that final relief from the curse. One of my favorite things about the Christmas season coming into Christmas is the preparation for the second coming of Jesus. To remind ourselves that this life that we're living right now that's kind of broken and painful and hurting, like there's good pieces, obviously. There's some lovely parts of this world, but there's some real broken down nonsense in this world, but it's going to stop one day. It's going to end one day, and it's going to end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we join Christians over the last 2,000 years, and we pray the prayer, Lord, come quickly. We long for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's part of our walking with God as we know he's coming again, and we long for that day because on that day, righteousness will reign, sin will be defeated, death will be a memory and pain will be no more. We look for that day. And as a church, we pray that it comes. And as we pray that it comes, we recognize that that prayer leads us to some, some apprehension because there's some people who need Jesus Christ before the day that Jesus Christ comes. So as you pray, Lord, come quickly, it motivates you to go to your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors and your friends and say, Jesus is coming again. I'm praying that it's today. Why don't you join me over here now? And we get people into the lifeboat with us. We get people to see hope with Jesus Christ because this life is broken and it's on a clock. It's going to end. Right? It's not like a soccer match. Soccer's a weird sport, right? right? The clock goes up in soccer instead of down. And like when it should be done, they're like, yeah, play for a few more minutes. Right? right? Eventually it ends, I guess, at a tie. Right? <laughs> Eventually, and I like soccer, I really do. But it's just kind of weird. Right? Yeah, we have overtime. How much? I don't know. Five minutes? 
right? Just kind of making up a number off the top of their head. Maybe five minutes, four minutes, I don't know, whatever we want to play. Right? There's a clock on this, and it's ticking down. It's ticking down. As believers, we petition that God would move that clock along quicker. But as we pray that prayer, it should motivate us to go and to reach out to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Because, guys, as believers, right, we expect victory over the curse. We expect that there's going to be final victory over the curse of sin that this world lives in. We expect that as we walk with the Lord, as you walk with the Lord, as you cling to the Lord, as your daily abiding is with the Lord, we expect victory over those things. Because we expect that victory as we walk with the Lord. You know what? We live our lives with that reality. We live our lives knowing Jesus is coming again. Victory is coming. We will celebrate that as the save. But guys, there's work to be done today. There's people in your, in your house. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people in your sphere of influence that need to hear the life-changing message that Jesus has already won against the curse. And they don't have to experience, you know, death, decay, hell. They can experience life and abiding. They can be laid up in a hospital somewhere all alone, and they can have a personal relationship with their father who loves them. Because they're never really alone. Guys, we have something better to give this world. We have something great to give this world. And as we walk with Jesus Christ, as we abide with Jesus Christ, it should motivate us to anticipate the end of all of this brokenness curse. Just like Lamech anticipated the end of the curse. And as we anticipate the end of the curse, it pushes us to let people know the goodness of Jesus Christ. He's good, church. He's good for the world that doesn't know it yet. So we pray, Lord, come quickly. You need to pray for that, that lost person in your world as well. Let me pray.